Dear Lord, yes, we do thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we are able to open it and read it. Help us to understand. Help me to read clearly this morning. And I pray for Dewey as he explains your word to us, that it will reach us and touch our hearts and that we will be able to take the message home with us. Thank you again, Father, for giving us your word in this way. Amen. So verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalekite from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Exodus chapter 17 records two incidents that happened at Rephidim. The first incident was when the Israelites quarreled with Moses because there was no water for the people to drink. The second incident was a battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites. The incident in verses 1 to 9 occurs less than six months after the crossing of the Red Sea. In those few months, the Israelites had witnessed God bringing the templates against Egypt, parting the Red Sea to deliver them from a desperate situation, and then closing it back to destroy the Egyptian army. God led them by a crowd at day and a pillar of fire at night. Just in the chapters before, the Bible records God's supernaturally purifying a water source for them. That is chapter 15, verse 25. Shortly after that, as we heard this morning, as the food supplies ran out, he provided meat in chapter 16, verse 13, and later on, and bread from heaven, that's 16, verse 15. But now they have forgotten all about the goodness of God, his miraculous deliverance, his abundant provisions, and started complaining against him again. How forgetful are we concerning the work, deliverance, grace and mercy of God in the past. Now, water from the rock, first paragraph, verses 1 to 7. 
The Israelites quarrel with Moses, their leaders, demanding that he gave them something to drink. They complain against Moses and ask why did he bring them out of Egypt only for them to die of thirst in the wilderness and wanted to stone him to death. Moses turned to God for help and God told Moses to strike the rock before the elders of Israel with the staff that was in his hand. Water gushed out from the rock and quenched the thirst of the people when Moses did as what God told him. The time in the wilderness was a test from God to see if the Israelites would learn to depend on him. They put God to the test when they complained. When we complain, we minimize God's miraculous provisions. Complaining, grumbling, murmuring, they are all the opposite of walking by faith and trusting in God to provide. You see, it was God who led them to this place with a crowd by day and a pillar of fire by night. And as the saying goes, where God guides, God provides. God would have gladly responded to a polite prayer request as much as harsh complaint. And Moses probably would have named the place something more positive than name like Massah means testing or Meribah means quarreling. That's in verse 7. And it was God still provide for his people. But I wonder if their sour attitude had made them less grateful for water coming from a rock. They missed a blessing that day. They still got their water, but they missed receiving it with a good attitude and growing closer to God who guides and provides. Now, the lesson we learned here is that we should remember not to be quick in complaining when we face trials. Learn to count the blessings of God in your lifetime in the life, in times of difficulties. Recall the kindness of God, His provisions, His wonderful deeds, His grace and mercy in the past. Pray for patience and continue to trust in Him. Do not put God to test. Just as the classic hymn, Count Your Blessings, written by Johnson Oatsman Jr., it reminds us that we need to pause and count the blessings of God in our times of difficulty. Now let's turn to the second paragraph, verses 8 to 16, the battle with the Amalekites. Shortly after Moses struck water from the rock to quench the thirst of a grumbling Israelites, the Amalekites began to conduct exhorts against Israel. Moses sent Joshua to choose out men 
and go out to fight the Amalekites. While he would go up on the hill, overlooking the battle with the staff in his hand. Now, it makes perfect sense that Joshua was appointed for this task. Moses, on the other hand, explained that he was going to station himself at the top of the hill with the staff of God in his hand. So we have the scene where Joshua and his army were down on the fields of the battle and Moses and Aaron and Hur were over on the hilltops. Let's look at the key characters of the story one by one. First, Joshua. This is the first mention of Joshua in the Bible. He was a young leader from the tribe of Ephraim. And he had have to note the, well, we have to note the following points to appreciate the challenges and difficulties that Joshua was facing. A. While the leaders Moses, Aaron, her were retreating to the safest place at the hilltop, and he was assigned to lead the army, fight the battle, he would most likely be the first one to be killed at the front line. How would you feel if you were Joshua? B. This was the first armed combat for both Joshua and Israelites. Joshua had not gone through any military leadership course, nor had he had any experience leading an army before. See, the Israelites had been slaves all of their lives. The Egyptians surely would not have allowed them to possess any weapons. So they have no weapons, military weapons. The Israelites were not trained to fight as an army and had no battle experience. Worst of all, their morale had been exceeding low for the last few months because of the difficult journey in the wilderness. D. Now they were against an experienced desert professional army on their own turf. Now think about it. Do you like those odds? Joshua needs a lot of faith in his leaders, his people, most of all in his God. These were the circumstances that God had placed Joshua and his army in deliberately. Because God was positioning Joshua and his people to learn, to learn something about him and consequently teaching them to depend on him more. The lesson we learn here is that there are times when God puts us in situations that we may learn to depend on him and to get to know him and his power better against all odds. As Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, not by power, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God wants us to know, with man this is impossible, 
but with God, all things are possible. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Now, second, Moses. The scripture tells us that the success of the battle depended on Moses' holding up his hands. The army was not able to prevail against Israel as long as Moses held his hand up with the staff of God. But Amalek prevailed when he went down his hand. The army had no power over Israel. They could not prevail against them as long as Moses lifted the staff with his hand. The lesson we learn here is the importance of prayer in battle. The battle was won in the valley because the battle was won on the mountaintop. It is tough call, but we need to find a little bit of space each day to distance ourselves from our problems so we can hear God's voice more clearly. Praying in times of crisis helps us to gain better perspective about the situation. Practical planning is necessary, but it is important to match with a bit of distance away from the tumult of battle so we can hear the still, small voice of God a bit more clearly. The truth is, there is real power in prayer. When we pray, things happen. People are healed, situations are altered, churches grow, grief is dealt with, spiritual battles are won. Prayer is real. Prayer is powerful. And prayer works. Now let's consider the stuff that Moses carried. Notice that there is one common denominator between this story, that verses 8 to 16, and the previous story, verses 1 to 7. What is it? The staff. The staff of God. That is mentioned in verses 5 and 9. That is one common denominator. Do you remember what the staff had been used to do before? It was used to strike the rock to bring forth the water at Rephidim. Now the staff is central stage once again. Notice that Moses' story. Notice that Israel won when the staff was held up. And Israel was losing when the staff came down. So it's pretty clear that God wants our focus of attention to be on the staff. The staff was both a symbol of the presence and power of God. It was a physical sign of the mighty, the might that God wields on behalf of Israel. So the point is that it was God who was fighting for Israel. His power was going to be more important than theirs. And thus, he was the one that they should depend on for victory. And the one to whom they should give the glory. The staff of God represents 
the power and presence of God with God's people in their time of need. The staff was mentioned in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. That's in your note. Okay. When God commissioned Moses, it was mentioned again in chapter 7, verse 8 to 24, when Moses demonstrated God's power before Pharaoh. The water of Red Sea was divided when Moses lifted up the staff. That was in chapter 14, verse 16. At the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 to 7, Moses struck a rock with a staff and provided water for the Israelite in the wilderness. Now, then he holds up his arm and the staff. The Israelites prevail. But the Amalekites seize the initiative whenever he lowers his hands. God explicitly called Israel to remember his power and presence. In verse 15, Moses erected not an altar of sacrifice, but a commemorative altar as a testimony to the Lord's power and provisions. You can see the Lord's work and the Lord's centrality in the name that Moses gave to the altar. He calls it, The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. In Hebrew, Jehovah Nisi. This was a visible reminder to Israel that victory was experienced because it was God who gave victory. They marched under the banner of a sovereign God. God wanted to make it clear that victory came from him. Yes, Joshua fought, Moses prayed, but it was God that gave the victory. They enjoyed the blessing of victory, but only God got the praise of victory. The lesson we learn here are, first, the staff of God was a banner of Israel in that day in order to draw attention to the power of God. Every believer needs to remember God's power. God is the one who gives victory. All glory and praises should be rendered to him and him alone. Secondly, we should raise our banners and declare the great and wonderful things God has done for us when he gave us victory over the enemy or delivers us from our troubles so that others would hear and be drawn to him. We need to remember his goodness to us when God answers our prayers. And what is important about living in community is sharing our experiences of God, answering prayers so that we can encourage one another with the victories that God has won in our lives. If God is answering our prayers, share the news with one another. 
then we can all remember and be encouraged in our darkest hours. And all that encouragement will lead us to praise God, which is the only appropriate response to answered prayer. Answered prayer results in praise, and praise builds the kingdom of God. The next two characters we are going to consider are Aaron and Pearl. Not many of us can hold our hands up for long before our arms become weak and tired. Moses needed help in order to keep his arm held high. Aaron and her got a stone for Moses to sit on, and each of them stood alongside Moses, one on his right and one on his left, to assist in holding up his hands. God enabled Israel to prevail over their enemy through the support of Moses. Moses' hands were steadied until victory was won by Aaron and her both doing their part. Now, the lesson we learn here is we can never discount nor can we overestimate the value of supporting role. Our success is in many ways dependent upon the support of others. The church is full of errands and her who will help you carry the loads of whatever cares and worries which you are carrying today. If we share our problem with with each other, we will be sure to find support and strength from others, people who love and accept you as you are. We must not despise the love and acceptance which is on offer today from God and from each other. So then we need to get a right perspective in praying for strength in times of crisis, planning for all eventualities, back up with serious prayer. And we need to understand the power of prayer and the power of a community of errands and her who will stand with you. Now, in conclusion, other than the few lessons we learned above, I would like to leave with you a few more thoughts this morning of what it will take to make this church victorious going forwards. The war we are engaged in is entirely spiritual. First, group effort. We saw how the battle was won when Aaron and hers helped Moses. As Moses was helping Joshua and the troops, as all were working together. When everyone works together, there is victory. 
The formula for being victorious in battle is everyone doing their part. That's what it takes. All are working together, working in unison for the cause of Christ. Second, support. Here we see a great truth that can be applied to the church. Like Moses, God has appointed his leadership within the body of Christ. That's your pastor. Like Moses, your pastor cannot and is not expected by God to do the work by himself. Pastor need others who will hold his arms high that they may be stated like Moses and that he may be able to lead as God would have him do. God's leaders have always depended on and need others to support them in their work. Victory and success are the results of the interaction and mutual support of the leadership. Now, A, the leadership of Moses. B, the obedience and courage of Joshua and the warriors. C, the wisdom and the practical support of Aaron. And lastly, D, the staff of God. Symbolizing God's presence and power at work among God's people. Now, third, balance of truth. Now, in this passage, if you look at verse 9, we will note that unlike at the Red Sea, God instructed the people to play an active role in their own defense. At the Red Sea, the people of God was to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, as we learned last week. Here at Rephidim, the people were to have an appointed army to respond to the Amalekites. And they themselves must be faithful in defending Israel against the attackers. Is it it interesting how even in Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, there's a nice balance between the active and the passive element of the believing life. There is the passive element of depending upon the Lord. As we learned last week, trusting in the Lord, resting in the Lord, watching the Lord's work, depending on His power, and there is also the element of doing the responsible thing that God called us to do. Both of those elements are part of healthy Christian growth. Now, if you have a totally passive approach to the Christian life, you will be in the let go, uh, let go and let God come. You will sort of sit in the pew and see what he's going to do. But if you are in the totally active count, then you will have a totally hard time trusting on him to do it and you will be trying to figure out the way you are going to do it for him. There is a balance in the Christian life between depending on God and on acting in accordance with those things. 
he had called us to do. And you see that balance even here. As the children of Israel are called to play an active role in their own defense. Finally, misfortune. From nowhere, suddenly the Israelites were under attack and were forced into a battle. Similarly, life can be like that for all of us. Every now and again, without any warning at all, when it seemed to be all clear sailing, life throws up a major battle for us. Maybe someone we love become ill and dies. Maybe we are made unemployed. Perhaps we contract an illness or our marriage hits the rocks. It happens, doesn't it? Without any warning at all, our life become blighted by a major catastrophe, the size and might of Amalekites. And we are left reeling in shock and distress. And we look at the problem that faces us and we think, how on earth am I ever going to cope with this one? But remember how God continued to be with the Israelites and granted them victory over the Amalekites. Similarly, God will also see you through the storm. May we always remember Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner with the support from brothers and sisters, you were able to defeat the Amalekites. Amen.